But let's begin verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped in to see in, inside the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that, they had, and that he had said these things to her. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus, you help us. For every heart, for every heart that has been hardened, would you now soften and open? Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a will to respond to your goodness. We need you this morning, Lord. We pray you speak to us clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe see. <clears throat> In the early 1800s, after the Napoleonic Wars, it is said that England mastered the high seas, even giving rise to the phrase, Rule Britannia. From the Atlantic to the Pacific to the Indian Ocean to the Mediterranean and all points in between, the British Empire was safeguarded by ships of the line. These were impressive frigates with their majestic sails and multi-level decks across the bow, bronze cannons. These ships manned by brilliant sea captains with eagle-eyed vision and a nose for war. But there was something else about these ships that you don't see right off bat. Something about these ships that they were able to be steady in the waves and upright in the worst storms. What was not apparent to the naked eye was what is underneath. Down below decks, down below the belly, into the hull. What you would find there, something that had been loaded into the ship called ballast. Ballast and piles of rock and brick and stone have been loaded in so that the ship itself would drop a little lower in the water. And it was that ballast that kept those majestic ships balanced. Now, we don't think much about what's down below the surface. We don't think much about what's down below the surface until the, until the, until the weather changes. 
until we are in the raging storm of heartbreak, the raging storm of losing somebody to death or soul-crushing anxiety. And when that sort of storm hits in your life, nobody cares how many decks you've got and how big the sails are, how many cannons are up there. Nobody cares what's up on top. That stuff doesn't matter. The storm comes. What matters is what's inside. And if you don't have the ballast of the crucified, resurrected Jesus deep in your soul, What you're facing, I mean, let's just be honest, the society, the societal storm that we are in right now, you don't have the ballast of Christ. You're liable to sink to the bottom. So what I want to do today, what I want to do, just take this passage. What I want to do is, is offer up the ballast of grace. I want to offer the, the grace and the hope that your soul needs in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's found right here in this beautiful story in John chapter 20. I love this passage. Let's do a little catch up. You know, we've been going through the gospel of Mark and we normally would just go paragraph by paragraph through a book of the Bible and we've paused to go over here to John. So in order to understand this, we need a little, uh, we need a little context. Let's do some catching up and see if I can get us there. <laughs> According to the Gospel of John, Jesus Christ is crucified between two thieves. Chapter 20 presents him being raised between two angels. Chapter 19 of John, the body of Jesus is taken off the cross. When he dies, they take his body off the cross. It's given to two men, one named Joseph of Arimathea. He is a rich man that was a secret follower of Jesus. The other man is a man named Nicodemus. He came to Jesus at night. These two men take the body of Jesus and take him to a garden tomb. They place his body inside the tomb, have it sealed up. It's guarded by Roman soldiers. You get to chapter 20, Jesus is dead in the grave. Chapter 20 has three characters. Those three characters are John the Apostle, who wrote this book, Gospel of John, and the man named Peter, the famous apostle. The other character is an unlikely woman named Mary. She's called Mary Magdalene because that's where she's from, Magdala. She's the one over in verse 1, chapter 20. She's the one that starts this whole thing. She's the one that went to the tomb while it was still dark. She saw that the tomb was empty. She panics. She runs back and gets the men, John and Peter. She told John and Peter, somebody has taken the body of Jesus. They immediately run, the way John tells it. This is when you write it, you can tell it like this. John, uh, John tells it like this. Me and Peter took off running. I was younger and in better shape, and I beat him there. <laughs> Go read it. That's sort of what he says. The first one there, John gets there, stops. Peter runs inside. Both men go in and see that there's nothing here but grave clothes. There's no body. Peter's a little more obstinate, so he doesn't get it. Verse 8 of chapter 20 tells us he doesn't, it doesn't, resonate with Peter, John says he believed. He believed. Even still, both of those men go home. They had left Mary. Mary made her way back to the tomb. 
This is where we find ourselves, a passage of, of joy and hope and love and grace. This is a beautiful display of how God works. So this morning, as we, as we dwell on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, I want you to see God works. In fact, we'll say it like this. God works to balance your life in the worst weather or the worst storm. God works to balance your life in the worst weather. Let's see how God works. I'll give you a simple outline to follow. Here's the first point, number one. God works in grace. We are a religion of grace. God works in grace in verses 11, 12, and 13. Notice how it opens up in verse 11. Verse 11 opens up with the phrase, but Mary. See that phrase, but Mary? That's a contrast. We're on the back end of a contrast. Verse 10 tells us that Peter and John went home, but not Mary. Verse 11. She stayed. And the miracle of this is, is that the resurrected Jesus is going to appear to this woman named Mary before he appears to anyone else in creation. What do we know about Mary? Well, I told you before, she is from a town called Magdala. She could have been a woman of means. That is to say, she could have had some money. We know that she was possessed by seven demons and Jesus saved her, cast those demons out. Church history did uh, Mary at Magdalene a disservice and had her... Um, as a woman of ill repute. There is no evidence whatsoever. That's not what we hear about Mary Magdalene. We know she was possessed by seven demons, not by her own will. It was torture. Jesus saved her from that. She became a disciple of Jesus. She followed Jesus. She and other women supported the ministry. They were there helping with the ministry. She may have given financially to the ministry. She's never mentioned prominently, but she's mentioned 14 times in the Gospels. Mary Magdalene, though, is an eyewitness. She saw it with her own eyes. She's an eyewitness to the crucifixion. She saw the whole thing. She stayed around long enough that she saw where they buried Jesus. So now in verse 1, or verse 11, she's gone to actually finish the grueling process the grueling task of preparing the body of Jesus for the final burial. This woman has been through so much. Now she stands outside the tomb. She's already been possessed by devils. Who knows what that was like? She stands weeping outside the tomb, weeping. You see that word, weeping? That word, weeping, is not, um, that's not the soft, polite cry where you're, you might shed a tear and sniffle a little bit and you dab your eyes. I saw a young lady wearing a sweatshirt uh, this week that says, the, on the front of the sweatshirt, says, I cry a lot. <laughs> it's, it's not like that, not like that. This kind of crying is the uncontrollable, the uncontrollable sobbing that you can't get it together. This is the kind of crying that happened two weeks ago in Nashville, Covenant School. This is the kind of crying when the pastor and his wife, when, when, when they get the shock news that not only has their church and school been attacked, but their nine-year-old daughter. This is the kind of uncontrollable 
crying. Let me, let me pause here and just say the tears. Look, tears. Tears. Even tragic tears. Even the tears that feel as if it's never going to stop. Those tears are not the end. Mary stands there in, in, in verse 11. She's standing there at the tomb, even in her agony. Mary has been through so much. She loved Jesus. She watched him die. She's there when all the other men are gone with this feminine resolve, standing there at the tomb. She's come in the dark. She's there to, to one last ministering act to her Savior, and his body is gone. Now, the panic in her heart she saw what they did to him at the cross. She knows what those brutal Romans are capable of, and now they've got his body. Terrible thoughts of the desecration that could be going on. She stands there weeping. Now, in verse 12, she finally gets the courage. Verse 12 tells us that she, she, when she looks inside the tomb, she finally now has looked inside. When she looks inside the tomb, she sees two angels. Join me there at verse 13. She looks inside the tomb. There are two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Let's get the, let's get the picture. Verse 12 says she looks inside, and now there are two angels, one at the head of where Jesus' body was, one at the feet. Some theologians have said that these two angels are similar to the mercy seat the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament where there were cherubim on either side of the mercy seat and there God would speak and meet with His people. Here's a picture. I don't know if that's true or not, but, but maybe. Either way, there's the angels. It's probably still dark. At least it was in verse 1 when she ran and got John and Peter. And I'm sure it's still dark now. It hadn't been that long. In the dark. Pause. In the dark. Listen, in the dark, that's where Jesus shows himself. That's where he works. Even though he is the light of the world, let's not forget, he is also the Lord of the dark. Even when you feel like you're groping in the darkness, listen to me, Jesus is there. Even when you feel like you, you don't recognize him, listen to what the angels ask in verse 13. The angels say... <laughs> In verse 13, woman, why are you crying? This is not that they necessarily cared so much about Mary. They don't understand, you see. The angels know something that Mary doesn't know. They understand something Mary doesn't understand. That although Jesus died on a Roman cross, he is alive. And the angels are saying, if there ever was a day in the history of the universe to not cry, woman, what are you crying about? It's when the grace of God has been completed, when the doors of heaven have been opened, when the invitation has been given so that anyone who wants to go to heaven can go to heaven through Jesus the gospel. It's what, we, it's what we believe in. Let me pause here and just talk a mo moment about the gospel. When I say gospel, this is what I mean. 
God is a holy creator who created all of us in his image. He created you in the image of God. It's why you have dignity. It's why I respect you. Because you have the image of God in you. That image of God in us, however, has been disfigured. It's not what it's supposed to be. It's because of sin. Sin is a crime against God, and crime, as you know about justice, crime should be punished. If God is holy and just, then he will punish the crime against him, that crime being sin. We stand under condemnation because of our sin. And, and the gospel hope is this, is that God is not just just. He's also loving and kind and good. He loves us, and this is our story here. To the degree that he sends Jesus. Jesus is the man, the God-man, the perfect man. He does what we should have done. He lived as if we should have lived, loving people correctly, loving God in perfect fellowship. He was the perfect man. He was the, the, the substitute, the second Adam. He came to live in a way we should have lived, but he also came to go to the cross. Why the cross? Because there at the cross, there God would exact his judgment on our sin, on a man, a substitute, in our place, Jesus. Jesus dies on the cross, taking the wrath of God for sinners. But how do we know it worked? That happened on a Friday. Our passage here is about a Sunday. And the Sunday passage tells us that God raised him from the dead. That's why the angels are saying, why are you crying? God has raised him from the dead. The sacrifice has been received. It actually worked. The resurrection is the promise that the gospels worked, that the gospel works. And the, the angels knew it. And it is a gospel of grace freely offered to any of you who will now turn from sin and put your faith in God. You see, what God does, God works to balance your life in the worst weather. Part of that ballast is grace. God works in grace. Well, let's go to the story. It picks up momentum here in verse 14, 15, and 16. Let me show you that God not only works in grace, God works very pointedly in Christ. God works in Christ. Join me there in the story. Let me go back a little bit. Verse 13. <clears throat> Verse 13, the angels are talking to Mary. Mary is rattling on in verse 13. She's pleading with them, tell me where? Where is the body of Jesus? Now, go to verse 13 and 14. I have to read it together because something happens there. I wish John gave us more detail. He doesn't. Verse 13. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken... They have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid. So they're having this conversation back and forth. Verse 13. Verse 14. Having said this, something happened. She turned around. She saw Jesus standing there. She didn't know that it was Jesus. So, so they're talking. She's looking at the angels. The angels are talking back to her. And something happens. Either the angels looked up over her shoulder or she heard a noise behind her. John Chrysostom thinks that the angels saw Jesus coming and then she saw in their face and she turns around. Maybe she felt his presence. Either way, in verse 14, she turns around. She sees Jesus standing there behind her. She doesn't know that it's Jesus. How did she not know? 
Maybe it was too dark. Maybe, maybe she was crying too hard. Her eyes were filled with tears. Or maybe she was just delirious. Whatever, whatever happened, we do know that there's something that has changed. The glorified, there's something that has changed with Jesus because this sort of thing happens elsewhere. You can get to the end of the Gospel of Luke. The end of the Gospel of Luke, the resurrected Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus with other disciples. They believed in Jesus, and they didn't know that that was Jesus with them. Matthew 28, where we get the Great Commission. The Great Commission tells us, Matthew 28, there are people there. The disciples are worshiping Jesus, but some people doubted. They didn't think it was Jesus. Or later on in John, John 21, when Jesus is on the bank, and they're out fishing, they don't recognize till they hear his voice. Here in verse 14, Mary is with, she's with the resurrected Lord, and look what she thinks. Verse 15. Here's her first guess. Verse 15. <clears throat> Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. And she's, she's frantic. Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where he is. I'll go and get him, and I'll, I'll take him. How is she going to do that? And she, she thinks Jesus is the gardener. Just pause and think with me the patience of Jesus. The patience of Jesus with his people. When you're in the thick of it, you don't recognize his presence. He's there. When, when you are totally oblivious, when you are totally oblivious to his presence and your life is in a panic, Jesus is there patiently getting you through to the other side. Jesus doesn't let go. Jesus doesn't walk away in frustration. Instead, with patience comes power. Now look... <clears throat> This story is getting ready to take a beautiful turn as we watch God work in Christ. Follow the story now. Join me there. In the Bible, verse 14, Mary sees Jesus. She does not recognize that it is Jesus. Verse 15, Jesus asks her the same thing that the angels has asked, they asked her, except he adds a home to it. Join me there, verse 15. Let's take a look at it. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? There's a, there's, a, there's a nuanced difference. She was looking for a what? A dead body. What she needed was a home, an alive Christ. You're looking for something. You're looking for something. What you need is someone. And that one is Jesus. So, so Mary, Mary keeps, um, she keeps talking. She's falling apart, verse 15. She's prattling on to the point of hysteria. Uh, she's right at the edge of losing it. She says, you just tell me where he is. I'll go and get him. And Jesus stops the hysteria with one word. Verse 16. Isn't it beautiful? Jesus said to her, Mary. And then her response in Aramaic, it's a, it's a loving term, Rabboni, my teacher. Now just pause there. 
It was his voice. More specifically, it was his voice speaking her name. The voice of Jesus calling Mary's name. Now pause here. Remember, remember Jesus in John chapter 10. Remember when Jesus is talking to his detractors. There are people that didn't believe in him. Remember what he said in John chapter 10, verse 26 and 27? Jesus said to his detractors, But you do not believe. You don't believe because you're not among my sheep. My sheep, they hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Voice. It's his voice that has the power to, to open open eyes. The power to make it make us see. I mean, isn't that what happened to isn't that what happened at the tomb of Lazarus? Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus and he called out, Lazarus, come forth. It was the power of God's call to raise Lazarus from the dead. Old preachers used to say that had Jesus not mentioned the name of Lazarus, every person in the graveyard would have got up. <laughs> the power of the call. It's his voice. Or, or maybe you remember what John wrote in Revelation chapter 1. The, the same man that wrote the gospel of John wrote the end of the Bible, Revelation. And he says in Revelation chapter 1 that the voice of Jesus is like the sound of a trumpet. It's like the sound of, of many waters. Or, or Jesus himself would say in John chapter 5 verse 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, those who hear will live. Verse 16, Mary is shaken from her hysteria. She recognizes the Lord. She does what she's longed to do. She embraces Him. She, she wraps Him up. This leads to my last point. Number three, number three. God works in grace, God works in Christ, God works in hope. Number three, God works in hope. We find it there in verse 17. Mary is understandably ecstatic to have Jesus back. This is not what she expected. She had gone to the cemetery, to the tomb, to prepare his body for the final barrier. The panic she had wasn't that Jesus was gone somewhere, had been raised from the dead. The panic was that they had done something with his body, something terrible. And now, I mean, this is beyond anything she could think of. She has him back. This is not like what happened to Lazarus, though. Lazarus would be raised from the dead, and he would die again. Things are not going back like they were. Look what it says in verse 17. Let go, Mary. Do not cling to me. I have not yet ascended to the Father. But I have a message for you. Now, now, slow down here. Slow down and hear the message that Jesus gives to Mary. What he tells her, which is astounding in and of itself. He didn't go right to the disciples. Gives it to Mary. What he tells her to tell the disciples and then listen to everything that is embedded in verse 17. Let me read it. 
Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, this is the message, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now pause here. 108 times in the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to God as Father. 71 times in the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to God as the Father. 21 times in the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to God as my Father. Not once, not once had he ever called God the disciples' father. Never until now. Now he tells Mary, this woman, Mary, you go and tell my brothers that I am ascending to my father and your father. To my God and your God. You, you understand, right? You, you see that through the work of Jesus, through the work of Jesus on the cross, through the work of Jesus on the cross, His redeeming blood and His resurrection. This is Christianity right here. Christianity is wrapped up in Jesus. His perfect life, His death on the cross, His victorious resurrection. Through that, a new relationship is made possible. For the very first time, through the cross and the, and the resurrection of Jesus, God no longer holds us in contempt. We are no longer thought of as rebels. We're no longer thought of as lawbreakers. Now in Christ, God adopts us, adopts you as a son or a daughter. Isn't that what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5? Paul says that he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Romans chapter 8, he says it later. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 said that in Christ you did not in Christ you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom you now can say abba father this right here this is the story of God's grace this is the story of real hope this is God's grace on full display at the resurrection, giving it to Mary Magdalene. Look, this is why we worship on Sundays. This is why we baptize in the name of Jesus. This is why we have the Lord's Supper. This is why behind me, in shadow relief, is a cross. Why is that there on display? Because Jesus Christ died in the place of sinners. And in so doing, he satisfied the anger of God. 
God raised him from the dead, and now through Jesus, he offers his love and forgiveness and reconciliation to anybody here that will say, that will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God actually raised him from the dead. If you'll do that, you are saved by God's grace alone, through your faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. That's how God works to put the ballast in your life. So that when you walk out of here and the storms rage, and they get bad, you're able to be upright because the gospel. God works, you see. God works to balance your life in the worst weather. He works in grace. He works Christ. He works in hope. He works in the crucified, resurrected Jesus. Come now to the crucified, resurrected Jesus. Will you join me as we pray together and prepare our hearts to worship some more? With your heads bowed this morning as we go to the Lord in a moment of prayer. I'd like to offer an invitation for any of you here this morning that you realize that you don't have ballast in your life. You don't have the gospel weighing you down so you can stand upright. And this morning you realize you need Jesus and you want Jesus. You've heard the death and resurrection of Jesus has been done so that the, the doors of heaven are open. And if you'll just come and give your life to Jesus. A couple of ways we do that here at Hickory Grove and we sing this song is especially an invitation song. We'll invite you to come forward. Maybe you've seen that before in churches. You can walk down the aisle right here. Our pastors are down front. Glad to pray with you and start the conversation of what it looks like to give your life to Christ. But, but maybe you're not comfortable with that. Maybe you'd prefer to wait. You can meet one of us out in the lobby after church and talk about how you can find out more about Jesus. You can register for our membership class online, Discover HG, and begin the process of finding out how do I become somebody that goes from being dead in sin to being alive in Christ. What a beautiful, beautiful reminder of God's good grace to us. Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you for not only paying the price for our sins, but giving us the stamp of victory in the resurrection. I pray you would strengthen your church. Pray that you would call sinners to repentance and faith. Pray that you would find us faithful. That you would be honored with our worship here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand please as we sing together?